you know, one of the things that I know about suffering is it creates a compassion for other people who are suffering that you wouldn't have had. And so in that way, there's details about heartache and hardship that are clearly in God's wheelhouse of plans. So, I mean, I can't wish those painful periods weren't there. You are listening to the Christian Music Archive podcast, part of the New Release Today podcast network. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Each week, I share stories about Christ, community, and music, chatting with musical guests who you will find listed on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. There are thousands of creative men and women who have helped shape the soundtrack of the Christian faith, and we get to hear their stories, learn about how Christ has made a difference in their life, and hopefully along the way, we'll learn how we can be a better part of our community. Brian Duncan is a Christian music pioneer. As a member of the Sweet Comfort Band, he helped pave the way for contemporary Christian music that we enjoy today. After recording six albums with Sweet Comfort, he went on to a successful solo career, releasing more than 20 albums. His powerhouse vocals combined with horn-driven rhythm and blues is just about the best music ever recorded, if you ask me. So I'm excited today to sit down with this legend of Christian music. We'll get to our conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to tell you about the Rohingya people of South Asia. For over 40 years, these people have faced discrimination, violence, and persecution. So much so that in 2017, a mass exodus of Rohingya citizens started with them fleeing their country for their lives and for their safety. And a lot of these people are ending up in Bangladesh and some of the surrounding countries. To make matters worse, in March 2021, there was a devastating fire in one of these large Rohingya refugee camps. Thousands of homes were destroyed, hundreds of children separated from their families, and hundreds more injured or dead. Now, this is all devastating and hard news to hear, but the reason I'm telling you this is because Mercy Inc. and their partners have been working in the Rohingya refugee camp to bring relief and hope. They are also sharing the good news of Jesus to anyone who's willing to listen. And I'd encourage you to jump on board and see how you can help to learn more about how you can support Mercy Inc. and more specifically how to pray for the Rohingya refugees. Visit christianmusicarchive.com mercy. There you can click on the Rohingya link to see how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus to these hurting and displaced people. That's christianmusicarchive.com slash mercy. I'm not afraid to say that Brian Duncan is one of my favorite artists. As I mentioned in the opening, he has released more than 20 albums, including my favorite Christmas album of all time, Christmas is Jesus. Back in the 90s, when I was a concert promoter, I promoted more shows with Brian than any other artist. One of my favorite promoter stories is with Brian as well. After one of his concerts, I took him back to the airport, and in those days, he would dress in a black leather jacket with studs and chains, spiked hair, the whole works. This was also before the strict TSA screening that we have today. Anyway, we walked through security checkpoint together, and all of the alarms and lights went off because of Brian's leather jacket. But nobody even batted an eye or came to look at what was going on. The security agent was so busy searching through the purse of this little old lady who I'm sure had some serious contraband. 
Brian looked at me, laughed, and said, you wouldn't believe that this happens all the time. Anyway, Brian Duncan is a high-energy musician who was just about as crazy as my conservative upbringing would allow. I mean, think about it. He had an album called Anonymous Confessions of a Lunatic Friend, which I love, by the way. Needless to say, I've been a longtime supporter and fan of Brian Duncan, so it was a real privilege to connect with Brian recently over Zoom. Here is that conversation I had with Brian Duncan. This is exactly how I look when I wake up in the morning. Gee, minis. You got to do my hairstyle. That way you don't have to worry about hair. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think that's working for me. I'm already, they're already calling me grandpa around the house. It's like, man, uh, I wasn't really counting on that. How many grandkids do you have? Four. You know, you know, for the long time, you know, my kids were in their 30s and they were, still didn't have grandbabies. And I'm going, I figured I was going to die before I saw the grandbabies. But boy, when they start coming, it's like a it's like a fungus. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly they're everywhere. I had to put some rules down around the house. You know, <laughs> only only two grandbabies at a time. For God's sake, I will die sooner. You you got enough energy to entertain them most of the time, though, I'd imagine. I mean, that's the one thing I remember about you. You always have energy. Oh, those were the olden days, man. You know, I'm gonna be 68 next next uh, month, and it's like <laughs> Man, I never planned to be this old. I, you know, I would have had, I would have planned better. <laughs> well, you've been doing music since early seventies, right? Oh, I've lost count, but I think you know, Sweet Comfort Band started in seventy four, and I, I started writing songs back in nineteen seventy, mostly because I couldn't play anybody else's. <laughs> so you know, if you make your own stuff up, nobody knows where the mistakes are. <laughs> right. I was always told if you if you're playing mistake, you just do it a second time and then it's intentional, right? Yeah, I call it improvisational jazz if I hit a wrong note. <laughs> I'm going, no, that's that's just a complicated jazz chord. Right. Right. Well, you and I first worked together back in I think it was 89, 90, something like that, when I promoted my first concert with you. And you came out with the Econo band. Oh, you know what? I wouldn't if I wouldn't have had the Econo band, I wouldn't have had a career because, I mean, you just can't, you know, you can't go out there uh, with all of your dreams intact. Uh, <laughs> you know, sure, yeah, I'd love to have a horn section. That's five extra guys at $125 a day, uh, not counting airfares. You know, next thing you know, you know, the gig is like $6,000 just to break even. Well, your solo career really started at a good time then because that's kind of when the advent of all this uh, sequences and equalizer and all that kind of stuff was coming out. So you could travel. That's, that why, that's why the Econo band kind of worked. I deliberately went away from guitar sounds because, you know, that didn't sound like something you could manufacture from a computer. And, uh, you know, unless I use a guitar loop or something. Yeah. But that made it elite, at least plausible, you know, because, I mean, let's face it, you better be bringing something um, if you're going to stand up there and look like you're. Uh, it's a karaoke concert, <laughs> right? W was that a tough transition for you to go from sweet comfort to solo and being on stage by yourself, or was that a welcome relief? Um, There's a little bit of everything. I didn't. I, when I left the band, I just wanted to get off the road, and I was tired of not making any money. Right. You know, it just never paid for itself. I was 30 years old, about to have a baby my first kid and I, I'm making $200 a week at best. And is like, man, you know, of course, everybody talks about the sweet comfort band days. Like it was, you know, some kind of glorification. I'm going, 
all I remember is sleeping on guitar amps <laughs> in the back of the van. And uh, we look like rock stars because, you know, you just sleep in your clothes and your hair comes out like this. And people go, wow, you know, those guys look, <laughs> they look ratty. Yeah. Uh, and that's how that, that's how that look was invented, by the way, is being on the road six weeks uh, at a time and, you know, living out of hotel rooms and junk food. Yeah, but how do you feel like that time with Sweet Comfort kind of paved the way for your solo career? Did it cut chops for you, or was it, uh, uh, this is what I'm not going to do? <laughs> no, nothing like that. I, I was just happy to file my tax returns on time, number one. You know, that was a, you know, it's an awful thing when you're just going, and we kept putting off taxes because, you know, by the time the it came time to pay taxes, you know, <laughs> we'd already spent all that money. And uh, so, I mean, that was the main reason I got out. I, I didn't even plan to leave and go solo. I just, I went and got a real job because I felt like it was, you know, it was an obligation. I should grow up, be responsible. I, I started pouring concrete with a friend ah. and uh, which was mostly the slab foundations. And so I was basically digging ditches. That's all <laughs> I did. Uh, but it was only about six months and somebody asked me to sing at a youth group down the street from me and they paid me $700 <laughs> and I'm going that's more than I made in a month with the sweet comfort band. And I played for 40 minutes and it was, that was it. Wow. So I thought, well, maybe I ought to, you know, think about this. And so I went to uh, a guy and asked him about, you know, management and, you know, I was, I was signed to light records. Yeah you know, probably a year after I left the band, you know, it, yeah, it was a little awkward being up there on the stage by yourself. I mean, you better have something to say. And, you know, in the, I don't know if you remember the Sweet Comfort Band days, I was just the piano player in the corner. You know, I was kind of off to the side of the stage and I would just sing the songs. I would never say anything mm. to the audience. I mean, almost nothing. Right. And if I did, it was something smart. I'll like, get me in trouble, <laughs> get the whole band in trouble. <laughs> What did he mean by that? You know, <laughs> and even when I did it, even when I went solo, we had a formal apology letter because um, I, I said whatever I was thinking at the time, which, you know, I really haven't gotten much better at that. <laughs> <laughs> Fly it off the seat of your pants, huh? Yeah. But you know, I mean, I, I really, uh, with Christian music, I, I really felt like transparency was the most important thing. Mm -hmm you know, which was a huge mistake career wise, because not everybody wants you to be transparent. You know, they always talk about be you, just be you. I'm going, I don't know. I think I'd edit some of that. <laughs> well, you, as a, as a performer, you have to have this kind of stage performer of, uh, of what people expect of you. And then you have that off the stage where, which is 90% of the life. Was that a struggle for you to to have to turn a switch on and turn it off, or did you were you able to just be yourself all the time? No, it was a struggle to try to be a little more dignified <laughs> on stage. That was the struggle. Yeah, you know, I always I felt like you know in the early days, some of the ministry that I was getting from from others was to be you know the transparent and you know if you're if you're truthful that that would that would resonate with people and it kind of does and at the same time it kind of pisses a few people off because you know they don't want to really hear that but i was under the impression that if i was transparent and honest that i would uh have a i would be successful hmm. 
um, that was, was a huge mistake. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, not everybody uh, has the same transparency, I guess. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I really appreciated about, I mean, most songwriters write songs from their heart and from their experience. And I think uh, talking about your growing up experience, you, uh, Mr. Bailey had a daughter. That's kind of a story about your growing up, right? This is my testimony in three minutes. <laughs> uh, as a preacher's kid, you know, I had all the answers before I had all any of the questions. And uh, so, I mean, the rest of my life has been trying to sort that out going, is that really true? Yeah. Uh, you know, the good news is, you know, most of what I was taught by my folks uh, from the scriptures is absolutely true. I mean, most of it, mm -hmm. the, you know, the things they believed are pretty much the things I believed. So at, I'm trying to th decide how to, to go into this because you, uh, you started a program called Radio Rehab. Um, this is obviously born out of some s stuff in your life that you had to deal with. You want to first of all tell what radio rehab is, and then talk a little bit about how that's working for you on a daily basis. Radio rehab is a recovery program. You know, I um, I played a concert for a for a program called Celebrate Recovery. It was a Christian recovery program mm -hmm. when recovery was a was an awful word. You know, you didn't right. even bring that up because. Most, believe, most people believe that redemption was instantaneous in some ways. And I believe salvation is, but, you know, the working out of your salvation is a recovery program in my idea. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I was singing at this recovery program down in uh, Orange County, and they read the 12 steps of recovery. And the first one just blew me out of the water. It said, you know, we admitted that our dependencies had we were powerless over our dependencies and that they had become unmanageable. And I, I instantly, you know, I wasn't an alcoholic or anything, but I'm just going, I have several dependencies that make my life unmanageable. And I thought the more I thought about it, the more I realized, um, everybody needs recovery from something. And in some cases you need to recover from more than one thing. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to, I started a, a fan club called Lunatics Anonymous Right uh, around that time because I'm going, it's for people with more than one problem. Because <laughs> I'm just going, all of the principles of recovery um, can be scripturally applied. Yeah. It's, you know, we made a conscious, we made an effort to improve our conscious contact with God, our awareness of God. You know, I mean, you can read, you can read that at, couple of different ways but for me to know god is our primary purpose i mean that's what mm -hmm. that's what the bible tells me is to know him that's the most important thing that's why we're here but um you know to put it in simpler terms we sought to improve our conscious contact of of god as we understood him they throw that in there and i'm going i used to say uh, we sought to improve our conscious contact with God as we did not understand him. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I'm still learning things about the ways of God and, you know, recovery was just, uh, those, those principles are so applicable. Cause I used to tell people, you know, if you have living relatives, you have something to recover from. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and our whole life really is 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 trying to get rid of stuff out of our lives that get in the way of a relationship with Jesus. And whether that's stuff that we put there ourselves or relationship things that we've been involved with or whatever, but it's that constant yielding to Christ in all aspects of our life. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, um, addictions are a subtlety in a lot of cases. You know, we automatically think of those people, uh, drugs and alcohol. But I'm going, you know, I grew up in Pentecostal church, and, you know, most of us were rounder than we wanted to be in the full gospel. <laughs> and uh, yeah. say, you know, that overeating was, a, you know, in my household, uh, there was a, that was dismissed as a secondary thing. It wasn't like a big deal, but anything that makes your life unmanageable or your health unmanageable, um, is something that you got to work on. And so when I started radio rehab, I'd been going to a recovery program since 1990 because I was, uh, suffering from approval addiction, mm. uh, you know, I would do anything as long as it didn't make anybody unhappy. And it, and it was making my life unmanageable. And that's, that's something of, that happened to me when I went solo. Suddenly you're singing and you're trying to please everyone and yeah. you're trying to say things the way they want to hear them. And, you know, maybe you're not so sure it's true. I developed a real good sense of songwriting because I needed to say stuff that was true for me yeah. and kind of give you the opportunity to think about something else in case you didn't like my truth. And so, I mean, the whole idea of re recovering from addictions, you know, approval addiction was my primary thing. And I still struggle with it. I still compare myself to everybody else. And, you know, you're not valuable if you're not the biggest guy in the room. Uh, you know, it's there's so many things about it that apply to recovery that, um, I made, I made 50 shows. Uh, it was, it was based on the 12 steps principle that says, you know, having had a spiritual experience, we sought now to give back to others mm. as a direct result of the changes we've seen. Yeah. So, and I mean that, so I mean that I was just going, here's a chance for me to play songs that I'm going, this song, is not Christian or secular or gospel or whatever. It's this song says something about recovery. Um, one of the first ones I think of was Offspring is, a, is a, just a thrashy rock band, but they were singing this song. I want something else to get me through this. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds about right. Um, <laughs> even when you know Jesus personally, there's still ways in which I just you know there's a lot of downtime where god's kind of not telling me what we're doing so i'm going to just well, i wind up building a a golden calf over in the corner <laughs> <laughs> yeah. going, you know get over yourself you know at some point you were a flawed individual and i mean that's the whole at the end of the day that's the whole point of knowing jesus and and understanding what he's doing for you granting you uh grace to not be perfect right now. Mm -hmm. Like you, I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up with this whole notion of I've got to be on when I'm in public. I've got to, you know, pleasing people. That's a real big thing for me. Oh, for yeah. me, one of the things that I've had to wrestle with is how do I see myself as God sees myself? You know, the wrestling of 
what I look like, what I do, is this good enough for God? When, when the reality of it is he created me like this, maybe I took some of the stuff and went south with it, that's for sure. But how do you get in your mind to where you see how you appear in God's eyes? You know, I'm still working on that. You know, you'd think I'd have it down by now at my age. I watched this TV show um, called The Chosen, and it was about the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. And God tells her intimate details about her life in a non-judgmental way. But it, you know, in the script, it kind of, he kind of explains to her what some of her behavior was about that she didn't even know. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, it just flipped her out. And I'm going, I, that's the way I feel about recovery. When God shows me something about myself in a non-judgmental way and says, this is why you are where you are. Mm. And, you know, when I started in recovery, I was thinking that I was just broke. I was a broken person. And then I heard a poem the other day that said, you know, you're not broken. You are merely unfinished. <laughs> and ah, I thought, that's cool. It's an amazing thing when you start to realize that even your, even your definitions of anything are finite. Uh-huh. And it's really hard to put your finger on, on who you are and why you do the things you do. Yeah. But I remember, I mean, she goes away. The woman at the well goes away and tells the whole village because she just can't believe that this guy knew her better than she knew herself. Yeah. And, and I thought this morning I was thinking about it in devotions that, that if God told me something that made sense to me about who I am that I don't even get, I would drop everything for that truth. Yeah. I really would. I would drop everything for the, the honest truth about why I'm here. And you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's still what I preach. Well, I appreciate on your Radio Rehab page, one of the paragraphs you wrote was, the best changes I've ever made in my life were a direct result of the pain I was in. All of the biggest songs I've written were a reaction to pain. My closest relationships have been born through mutual suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that the case? Why Why do we have to hurt to do stuff? I don't know. But, you know, I mean, I've learned in, in my older age as we face health issues and our friends are dying and that I've learned that there's a reason for suffering, that God allows suffering for a purpose. And the fact that it's here, there's no point in asking why it should be. It simply is. Mm -hmm. It Number one, it removes a great deal of shallowness. Um, and it forces you to find a better way. Um, you know, it is uh, no pain, no gain. Right. It's, it's it's an ironic thing, and it's it's one of the aspects of God that I, you know, don't quite understand, and I used to question a lot more than I do now. But end of the day, um, I can't regret the pain that I was in because it that brought me to where I am now. Yeah. And all of the songs, you know, one of the things that I know about suffering is it, it creates a compassion for other people who are suffering that you wouldn't have had. And so in that way, you know, there's details about heartache and hardship that are clearly in God's wheelhouse of plans. And um, so, I mean, I can't, I can't wish those, those painful periods weren't there. They're no fun at the time. Right. I had a I had a, a counselor that I was going to for a while. He was a championship weightlifter, and uh, he was like 80 years old and had the world's record for bench press in his age group. 
but he <laughs> talked about the fact that if you're not hurting after you lift, you're not building muscle. And so that pain Ouch. in that case is a, re a resemblance of the fact that you are indeed growing. That was real helpful for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you can keep growing after 80, but, you know, okay. <laughs> well, I, I mean, this guy was ripped, and when you gave him a hug, I mean, he pr practically squeezed you in two, but... <laughs> Well, let's talk a little bit about music. I mean, you have a little bit of experience in that. You've seen a lot of stuff change over the years from labels to crowdfunding to having to do stuff on your own. What is that transition? What has that journey been like for you? Has that been a, a good thing, a frustrating thing? It's It's been absolutely maddening. Um, there was about, you know, when when downloads first came out, and you know you had all these social media sites or these applications that would just sell you a thousand songs for a dollar yeah. you know um it was the end of uh income as we knew it and i probably went through about 10 years even after my solo career where i did not know what to do next i mean we we don't sell cds anymore right and now, I mean, even now, the, the, the platforms that keep popping up for social interaction are so varied, and some of them are there for a little bit and gone, and, you know, everybody's everywhere. I mean, it's, there's not a universal platform. Even radio is not what it ever was in the past. And so, um, and I think everybody's just struggling to have a sense of community, especially sure. in the COVID times we're in now. Yeah. I don't know what God has intended. You know, it's, it's almost like the very beginning of time when, when uh, God allowed the nations to be split and have their own languages and now they can't talk to each other. I'm going, <laughs> this sounds kind of like the new social media platforms, kind of like the tower of Babel, yeah. um, you know, God forbid you have five people on the same network. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a word that is is really important to my podcast, and that is community. You talk about the community that that is missing. You've had some really important people in your life throughout the through the course, and I'm thinking of the last little bit with Christopher Redner as an example. He's part of your community. How did you go about making sure that you were surrounded with people to help you through these transitions, whether it be through the recovery stuff or the change in music stuff or the transition to a cement worker or <laughs> whatever. Uh, trust me. I didn't, I didn't, you know, out of my own wisdom, find people, uh, ready just approached me. I call him ready. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Redner approached me about what could be done on Kickstarter. And I had no idea, you know, I mean, w when I first met some of my early friends, they they were saying, you know, there's a thing now called email. <laughs> and I'm going, really? So how does that work? Yeah. You know, it just I'm just I'm behind, you know, a couple of bowling pins all the time. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's literally the hand of God pushing somebody in front of an idiot. You know, it's like, <laughs> here, check this guy out. And I actually started listening to Reddy because, you know, he wasn't very flattering to me, hmm. you know, and there's a couple of people like that in my life. You know, my, it's hard to tolerate someone who is, you know, kind of brutally honest. Mm -hmm. And but, you know, it's like a coach, you know, if you want to get better, you know, you don't pick a guy that's just going to walk around behind you 
and tell you how wonderful you are. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, here's what you need to be doing right now. Um, so, I mean, you know, again, that's, that's the pain of growing. So these people, you didn't necessarily go out to seek, but they, they kind of sought you out. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, Christopher did. I mean, he did the, the slow revival tour with my manager. Mm -hmm. um, and he also worked for uh, World Vision. Okay. And he was a, he was a crowdfunding guy. And he did a lot of that kind of work. So, I mean, you know, his insights were certainly welcome from the beginning. Slow revival was, was a successful tour. Yeah. Uh, which is really a rare thing. It's like, <laughs> hey, we got home and there were, there was some money left over. That's uh, it's a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, Reddy was a godsend, you know. But it's like, you know, my wife didn't come. I didn't pick her out either. She she showed up and uh, asked me out, and <laughs> <laughs> and I let her talk to me too. She doesn't flatter me too often. <laughs> You know, and it's like, because uh, I, you know, I mean, I don't want to hear bad things about uh, my defects of character or what I'm not getting done. But, you know, and even if they do tell me something, I got to go away and pout for a minute and mm. then think about it. And then, you know, yeah. But eventually, you know, I, I listen to the hard truths and, you know, hopefully make some kind of adjustments. You know, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good thing because uh, we need more music from Brian. So I know through the stuff that I've been been getting from Christopher that you, you've got some stuff kind of in the hopper, so to speak, of music that you're writing. So this change in, in industry style hasn't stopped your creativity. Well, it has in some cases. I got to tell you, you know, COVID just caught me completely off guard and the, the lockdown and... I didn't work. I mean, I, I haven't done a full concert in over a year yeah. and you know, I didn't know what to do with it. And I, I, I got to tell you as a writer, the, the last thing I want to do is write. I oh. just, <laughs> it's no fun. And you know, it's, you have to focus on details and, and especially with sad songs or heartbreakers, mm -hmm. um, you have to sit in that stew of mm. emotional bankruptcy and and take notes on how it feels and that's how the song becomes something that someone else can be encouraged by i'm writing these christmas songs and they're all tear jerkers right now uh, i just started writing sentimental christmas songs they're basically stories um of christmases in my life that have just that really spoke to me because you know after a hundred christmases that i've been through you know, it kind of gets, you know, pretty rote. Hmm. But I've got a song uh, called The Print of a Baby's Hand, and it just says, the baby, you know, I understand now because I'm looking at these little Christmas decorations that my kids made, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And they're still on my tree. But I'm going, you know, that says, and I understand when I look at these, it says that baby Jesus didn't stay too long, you know, from the time his mama brought him home. In a blink, those tiny hands were gone, but they still hold my world. Mm. Um, and as a way to say, you know, baby Jesus is not a baby anymore. Right. But you don't want to just throw that at people like a stone. You you want to show them a tender side of it. And it's like, I just finished a song. Uh, 
about a story about my son who just, you know, he was embarrassed because he didn't have anything to give me. And he, you know, at the end of the Christmas party, he, he just kind of threw a unopened handwritten uh, Christmas card on the floor. Didn't even say it was from him. Nothing. He just, he threw it there and left quietly. Cause I mean, he was embarrassed. Huh. He was embarrassed that he didn't have any money and he couldn't buy me anything. And he just says, man, you just mean everything to me. And you've done so much for me. And I really love you. And I appreciate you. I just can't, I don't have anything to give you. So the song's called the Christmas card. That thing is a tearjerker to me. I don't know if everybody else will find it that way, but it's, uh, the second verse of the song goes, now he thought he got me nothing, but that is where he's wrong. That little bit of nothing always turns into a song every Christmas time when I remember when it was just him. Mm. I think about that all the time now. It's like, and those are tearful, heartfelt memories of Christmas that I think we could use um, at a time when, you know, it, it kind of get distracted by, by other good things, but it's, but at the same time you lose what has the most value. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, that's what we're doing because we've discovered that at Christmas time, I'm getting more airplay than I get any other time. Oh, and across God. the boards, it's, it's not just Christian music. I, I'm getting Christmas airplay on secular side jazz stations and uh, adult contemporary because suddenly there's no, you know, they don't put you in a little category. Right. Well, you're a Christian artist. Well, you're a gospel artist. Well, you're this. Um, it's just Christmas. And so that's kind of the direction we've been going. And again, that's a direct result of the inside of Christopher Redner. Well, I will tell you this. My favorite Christmas album of all time is Christmas is Jesus. And it's the first Christmas album I pull out every single Christmas, first one I play. And it's probably the last one I play at the end of the Christmas season. And I know we're doing this, this podcast is airing in July, so Christmas in July, I guess that works. But if you haven't had a chance to hear Brian's Christmas is Jesus Christmas album, you guys have to, you have to hear it. It's just an amazing album. But I'm happy to hear there's more Christmas stuff. <laughs> Most Christmas songs are, are written in the summertime. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> you know, the original song, Oh, the Weather Outside is Frightful, was written on a day when it was one of the hotest days in California. <laughs> that summer and that's the first line they came up with so i'm going uh that's kind of when christmas songs are written and you know it's hard to imagine it took me a long time to even write again in that direction because uh man what hasn't been said a thousand times in christmas songs i'm going what do you say that's different although i came up with a second line in a song uh it's called all the way to christmas and the second verse goes there's not a wise man to come as far as me. There's not a shepherd or an angel that could set me free. Took a manger to get a stranger to see. The road to heaven doesn't have another guarantee. And then it goes, here's one gift you can never take back. You can never take back. Love goes all the way to Christmas. Ah, I love it. I love it. So, I mean, it's only taken me a year and a half to, to even find inspiration for uh, for doing Christmas stuff. Cause I don't want it to be the same old thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shepherds and angels pretty event, pretty soon you just start to glaze over. Yeah. Even, even, uh, you know, jingle bells, you know, bells and whistles and lights and, you know, there's gotta be something else. And I noticed on the last record, uh, you know, you were talking about Christmas is Jesus. 
Um, one of the songs that didn't get a lot of airplay was the one song I think that I wrote. Well, there's a couple songs on there I wrote, but one was called Christmas is Jesus. You know, I was, I was a little miffed actually when I, you know, I just said, you know, I wanted to just smack people in the face <laughs> kind of, you know, Yeah. but I'm going, you know, here's the point. I don't like that song that much these days, but there's a line in there, a star from the heavens has fallen for you. And it's, I thought that was maybe the only good line in that song, but that song, you know, here it is 20, 30 years later. And that song got more airplay this year than, than it did when the record first came wow. out. Wow. And I think it's because, you know, people are looking for some real salvation at Christmas time. Yeah. That maybe they, uh, they forgot about, or they just missed it somehow. It's not that, that all the other stuff is bad. It's just sometimes it's just a distraction or a deflection, though. Well, I'm, I've always been struck by the fact that for about a month and a half, the whole world listens to songs about Jesus. And, you know, you yeah. don't get that every other, every other season. Easter comes around. Yeah, it's Easter Bunny. Here comes Peter Cottontail, whatever. But at Christmas, everybody sings about Jesus. And I just think that's awesome. You know, I, I played, I did play one socially distanced Christmas concert this this uh last december at a biker church oh, and that... i came in and um before the before the event uh they were playing a video clip of twisted sister <laughs> <laughs> singing the first noel or you know but i mean they were here's a twisted sister you know these rock you know yeah. bizarre guy and they're talking about the son of god at christmas and i'm going Wow, no, I don't think they even realize what they're talking about. But it was it was funny. I'm going, you're absolutely right. It's a chance to reach out to a community when they're actually more receptive to the possibility of the gospel. So anyway, I mean, the, the whole point, I told my manager, you know, because I've always gotten on, on camera and said, hey, I'm going to do a Christmas record. You know, you should help me uh, raise money for this because everything I do now is crowdfunded. Right. But I thought the best way I could convince you that this is a worthwhile endeavor is to play you one of the songs like this song i just finished the christmas card um if i played you that um you would you would instantly want to be a part of it because it's it's a way of speaking to people from their heart you know on a heart level that that's not you know you ought to get right it's it's like here's the here's the memories that matter i have a couple of songs like that that you know, would would be a better representation of why you would want to support uh, another Christmas record when there are so many to pick from. I want this record to be different. And I think at my age, I, I'm really getting, you know, soft in my old age. You know, I cry over stupid things. You know, I get all mushy around my grandkids. They, they I've got a little one-year-old throws her, her arms around my knee and puts her head on my knee. And it's like, it's a feeling like I've never had before. And I'm going, am I getting soft? Is this what grandpas do? They turn into mashed potatoes. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, I'm singing songs of my own, of the things that have moved me in the last, in the last 10 years of, you know, spending Christmas with my, with now my wife and my kids and my grandkids, you know, last year, uh, my my mom died and my dad had already passed away 
and it occurred to me i'm going to do a song too called uh, an empty chair at christmas or since you went home for christmas is like you always hear these people go please come home for christmas yeah but i'm going this is another concept that you don't get till you're in your 60s is like since you went home for christmas it's like i started to realize I'm the oldest guy in my family now. Yeah. You know, my uncles and aunts are all gone and my mom and dad are gone and going, wow, they left me in charge, which is really <laughs> a dangerous thought. That's funny. Well, Brian, you spent a lot of time playing with a lot of different people over the years. I was wondering if you could somehow put together a dream band that would have anybody from either current or yesteryear who would you put together on that roster? Who would you have on that stage with you performing the all-star Brian Duncan band? There's an awful lot of people, uh, you know, the, the heavenly angel band is what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've had some of the best musicians and singers in on my records um, over the long haul. One of my favorite records is the anonymous confessions of a lunatic friend. Love that album. And I had Steve Picaro of one of my favorite groups, Toto. He was the drummer for Toto. And he came in and played on it. Dan Huff played on guitar. He, play, he played with Giant. I mean, I've had a myriad of great bass players, but uh, Nathan East was, yeah. you know, when he came in, he played with Eric Clapton and, and a host of other guys. But, you know, I was all giddy when he was in the studio. Uh, and then uh, Peter Wolf was a producer for Chicago, played on, played Hammond B3. But, you know, even the Neo Soul Band guys, you know, Phil Curry on Hammond B3 is just stupid. Uh -huh. uh, you know, the guys that were in that band. So, you know, but I've, I haven't, I haven't played with too many people that were bad, <laughs> really. Yeah, well, you've played with so many good ones. It was just I thought it'd be fun to hear kind of, you know, what some of that sweet spot for you. So, one of the things I've noticed with a lot of artists is as we get older, and I'm I'm not an artist, but uh, we tend to mellow out a little bit. Can oh, we ex can we can we expect another hardcore R and B kind of a sound from you? Big horn section. I know horns aren't real big things these days, but you know. Well, you know, I'd love to do that, but. Again, if you're crowdfunding, you know, it's hard to know what your budget is going to mm, be. Yeah. Um, I was talking to one of my old producers when we we did Mercy and uh, the Slow Revival record together. And, I mean, it was full horn sections and, you know, throw down. And, you know, if you give me a track like that, I'm going to start screaming. You know, <laughs> yep, that's yep. what I, I mean, that's James Brown to me. Yeah. But, you know, in... You know, I, I walk behind Jesus and I'm going, you know, he would have to pro provide a budget for that kind of record. Um, but I was talking to producer Dan Postema uh, from my olden days. He just mm -hmm. turned 70. Oh, wow. I said, you know, I, I feel like I, I can't do anything anymore because I don't have the money to do it. You know, I can't hire the big time people. And he reminded me, he says, Brian, he says, What's the biggest song you ever recorded? Well, it was I Love You With My Life from the Sweet Comfort Band days. It was a number one single in three different decades. Wow. And he said, there was nothing to that song, no offense, but I mean, it didn't need a big band. It didn't need a horn section because it was about what the song said. And, 
and that's kind of what I'm focused on at this point. A good song is something you could sing whether you have a band or not. Mm -hmm. So if as you're looking back over your career uh, and you've done so many cool things, do you have one kind of pinch me moment that stands out that, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got to do that? Oh, man. You know, the funny thing is I think of disasters more than I think about <laughs> the good times because there was so many to pick from. Yeah. That's all I'm saying is, you know, that gig where everything blew up, you know, when you broke down on the freeway and spent eight hours on the side of the road at three o'clock in the morning, skateboarding on the freeway because there was no traffic. Uh, man, I, I can't. Probably one of the still one of the best things was, you know, when I had all of those, you know, all of my old my favorite guys mm -hmm. in the studio playing that the lunatics anonymous record was pretty amazing and working with Michael O'Martian. Oh yeah. Um, on, on the mercy project. Um, I, you know, I had to pinch myself then. Yeah. Cause I mean, that guy, that guy could write a song. He, we started a song called step by step and I just went out of the room to get coffee for the two of us so we could write this song <laughs> and he had the whole track done in like 10 minutes it was like i come back and I'm, my coffee isn't even you know cold and he's already got a track uh, you know that was that had to been a pinch me moment what, what i'm hearing you say is your pinch me moments are all wrapped around relationships with people absolutely you know even these songs that i'm telling you about at christmas the pinch me moment at Christmas was my son giving me nothing. He had nothing to give me but a Christmas card, but it meant everything to me. I have it framed in my office to this day. That was, that was 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I've got a song I'm working on with about my daughter who, who lost a diamond ring in in all of the hubbub of Christmas opening presents. And we almost lost that ring in the wrapping. And oh, I wow. thought, uh, we found it because I had taped the whole Christmas service or, or the whole Christmas opening. And I thought, here's an example of why we revisit the traditions of Christmas so that we remember what has the most value and we can find it again. Yeah. Uh, but that was about a relationship with my daughter. And one was, was about my son and uh, the missing chair thing will be about probably about my mom or my folks being gone or yeah. I mean, the thing is, God speaks to me most often through his children. Uh, it's kind of surprising. I mean, because, you know, they are irritating, too. And they <laughs> sometimes sometimes they speak for the devil. <laughs> but I'm going, you know, everything that's ever stopped me in my tracks that I've written songs about has been, you know, a mother telling me about losing her son or a guy called me yesterday. His wife died of cancer yesterday. And you know, these are moments that really didn't involve me. They, they, but they are part of my life mm -hmm. because these people had the, they had the trust in me to call and tell me about their story. Yeah. And that makes me feel more important than anything else. When my kids come and tell me what's going on in their lives, I almost can't hear them because I'm so honored hmm. that they, have the nerve to yeah. tell me what's not going right. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I'm so self-conscious and self-aware <laughs> that I might've missed part of the story. <laughs>
Every Saturday, we send out a prayer newsletter to a bunch of folks who have committed to praying for artists. Uh, what can we be doing uh, prayer-wise? How can we lift you before the Father in the weeks and months ahead? Uh, you know, the number one thing is, I mean, we're all looking for ways forward uh, in the future. I mean, the, the world is definitely changing ways that I don't know how to adjust to. Mm -hmm. Our biggest prayer right now should be for a vision of what God has in mind in the next, even in the next 12 months, and how can we be a part of it? You know, that's, you know, a lot of my, I've been slow to respond, you know, even with writing songs, because I don't know kind of what needs to be said the most. But I think, you know, there's a reason why Christmas is Jesus is a song about Jesus mm -hmm. and Christmas. Yeah. And that came back stronger than ever because I think people are, you know, want to understand the grace of God and and his plan for salvation. And um, I don't, you know, we can't deliver that the same way we always did. You know, it sounds like, yeah, you just go out there and quote scriptures, but there has to be some wisdom behind the way you quote scriptures. Um, I, I always post on, on my social media a little thing on Twitter called, it. it's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like, rather than, because it sounds more interesting than to say, the Bible says, yeah. <laughs> you know, because that has a, that has a condescending tone to it. But if you, if you say something and then say, by the way, that's in the Bible. Can you believe it? Yeah. It invites people to to approach the truth and uh, the love of God and the grace of God. And man, I, I want to be a part of that somehow. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's what I would pray for. Brian Duncan has been such a key person in my Christian music life. From my first purchase of a record that was Have Yourself Committed to being able to promote multiple concerts with him. And yes, I've been part of almost every crowdfunding campaign that he has run. I hope you don't mind me putting on my Brian Duncan fan hat as we chatted today. But I'm also grateful for Brian's focus on how God is helping rebuild our lives into God's image. We all have areas in our lives that we place more importance on than serving God. And I'm sure most of us have things that get in the way of doing what's right and healthy for our minds and bodies. But that doesn't stop God from loving us and wanting a personal relationship with Him. He is always wanting us to set aside those unhealthy actions or substances or behaviors so that we can have intimacy with Him. And I love this too. God always provides a way for us to avoid those addictions and temptations. In 1 Corinthians 10.13 it says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. And whenever you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Would you join me in working to recognize those lifelines God throws us so that we can draw closer to Jesus each day? Well, before we wrap up the podcast today, Brian did send a Christmas song for us to enjoy. Like he mentioned, he is working on a number of songs for an upcoming Christmas album, and if you want to help finance that album, I'll be sure to include the links in the show notes down here, so be sure and check those out. So let's start up Christmas in July with the latest Christmas song from Brian Duncan. Bells will be ringing the sad, sad news. Oh, 
Thanks for joining me for this conversation today. I am grateful that we get to spend this time together each week hearing stories of God's amazing faithfulness. As a regular listener to this podcast, would you mind taking a few minutes and rating it on your favorite podcast app? Reviews and ratings really help spread the word so that other folks can hear about these great conversations. And if you have comments or questions for me, please feel free to drop me a message on any of the social media platforms. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon by searching for at CCMExchange. Or you can always drop me an email on the website, christianmusicarchive.com. I'm really looking forward to our time together next week when I have another great conversation with one of the musicians you'll find on the pages of the Christian Music Archive. So until then, remember this, God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. (laughs) 